0: Well, amen. Our God is great. Amen? amen. Amen. If you will remain standing with me, grab for your Bibles for our scripture reading as we continue in worship and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. As we'll be reading verses 36 through 50 as Pastor Bruce continues in a series altered encounters with Jesus. And our text for this morning comes from Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50 in a lesson titled "Pharisee and Prostitute." And we're going to use this text as Pastor Bruce preaches through this this morning. So follow along in your Bibles as I read. If you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. And you can turn to Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other, fi- the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons and the truth that you teach us through it. We thank you for pastors in our church who study your word, who who teach truth. Thank you for Pastor Bruce and his preparation for this message. Lord, may we have open hearts and minds to hear what you have for us this morning. We just thank you for your word and help us to be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin with a question here. You're driving down the
1: highway, kind of just dazing off in your own world, thinking about your to-do list, what you need to do, and before long, you see flashing red lights in your rearview mirror. And so being the, uh, the citizen that you are, you, you pull over to the side of the highway and, uh, and then the policeman gets out of the car and comes up to your window, and that's when you begin to try to sweet-talk your way out of a speeding ticket. How many have been there done that? A few of us, me included, have been there and done that. It hasn't worked. Uh, but you have tried to use every excuse you could think of to get out of a speeding ticket. And if you think drivers come up with some unbelievable excuses... When they're trying to talk their way out of a ticket, you should hear the stories that turn up on insurance companies' accident forms. Several years ago, the Toronto Sun newspaper printed a few samples from actual accident reports, such as, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. Here's another one. In an attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. Another one, I had been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. Here's another one, I had been shopping all day for plants and was on my way home. I reached an intersection, a head sprang up, obscuring my vision. I did not see the other car. Here's one more, the pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I just ran over him. Kid you not, these are actual accident reports that people have submitted to insurance companies as to the reason to why they had an accident. Here's some more. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I was attempting to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I didn't have. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my vehicle, and vanished. And then the last one, the indirect cause of this accident was a little guy in a small car with a very big mouth. Perhaps you've been there, done that. How easy it is to come up with excuses for our mistakes. Unfortunately, it is also quite easy to excuse our sin. In fact, it's it's just human nature to avoid taking responsibility for our sin and even seeing ourselves as sinners. And so this morning, as we continue in our series, uh, Encounters with Jesus, we're going to see two specific people here in Luke chapter 7 who responded very differently to their sinfulness and the forgiveness that is offered in Jesus Christ. The first person we are introduced to in this encounter is a man named Simon. He is a a high-class Pharisee, and he responded with arrogance and contempt. The second person we're introduced to in this encounter is an unnamed woman. Uh, More than likely, she is a low-class prostitute, and yet she responded with humility and love. Now, these two people may have looked very differently on the outside. In fact, they acted very differently in this encounter, but they had the same need on the inside. They were both sinners in need of forgiveness. And that's exactly what we see in this encounter with Jesus. This particular encounter, it shows us that Jesus is a Savior who loves to forgive sin. And we also see in this encounter that forgiven sinners love Jesus in response This encounter is relevant for every one of us here this morning because we're all in the same boat. We may look a little differently on the outside, we may even act a little differently from the person sitting next to us, but we all have the same need in life, and that is the forgiveness of our sin. And thankfully, We have a Savior who does just that. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came to be our Savior. He came to be the one who died in our place on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin. Now, this encounter, we're going to look at it in three different scenes. It kind of unfolds that way in three different scenes. And so that's how I want us to look at it. And the first thing we see in scene number one is a dinner party with the Savior. Now, it's interesting to note that Luke's gospel in particular is full of stories of Jesus eating with people. In fact, Robert Karras concludes in his book, Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel, and he says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal or he's at a meal or he's coming from a meal. In fact, this was so predominant in Luke's gospel that it had become a sort of reference point of condemnation from that generation against Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself says, just two verses prior to this encounter, in verse 34, he says, "...the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." So is it any surprise now that two verses later, we find here in verse 36, we read that one of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And so he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So this is the setting for scene one. A Pharisee invites Jesus to a dinner party at his house. Now, Luke doesn't tell us why. This Pharisee named Simon, we learn that later on in the, in the encounter, Luke doesn't tell us why this particular Pharisee invited Jesus to a dinner party at his house. Now, a dinner invitation can be given for one of two reasons. Either the host wants to enjoy your company, so he invites you to his house for dinner, or perhaps he wants you to enjoy his company. And so either the host is honored to have you in his home or he thinks you should be honored to be in his home. Simon here thinks that Jesus should be honored to be in his home. After all, he's a high-class Pharisee. But he's also a host who neglected his manners. Now, upon entering Simon's house, we are told here that Jesus immediately reclined at the table, which was just a normal way of eating a meal in that culture. The table was normally rather low to the floor, and the guests would lay on low couches or even on mats on the floor and lean on their elbows with their heads near the table and their feet away from the table. It was also customary to have the feet of your guests washed before the meal. But as we'll see in a moment, Simon neglected this act of hospitality. That's why we're calling him the host who forgot his manners. Now, you may be wondering, well, what is a Pharisee? I've heard that term, that group of people, but what is a Pharisee exactly? Well, Pharisees were were actually the largest and even the most influential religious group in Jesus' day. Pharisees were very strict in obeying the law of Moses found in the Old Testament. They were also very zealous in living a life of morality. Therefore, they were also highly respected among most people in that day. Now, the Pharisees at this point in time in the life of Christ were also beginning to oppose Jesus because Jesus was now calling them out for their hypocrisy. And so perhaps, maybe, Simon's lack of hospitality toward Jesus was somewhat intentional here. Maybe it's just a little bit of a dig in at Jesus. However, in that day, it was also considered very prestigious to invite a traveling Visiting rabbi over for dinner, and so Simon, this high-class Pharisee, invited Jesus to a dinner party at his house, and Jesus gladly accepts. Now, it helps to know something about dinner parties in biblical times. Homes in that day and age in that culture were more open to the street. And so a wealthy man like Simon would host his guests more than likely in in a courtyard. Either uh, surrounded by his homes, or even outside of his home, but somewhere in a courtyard. In fact, you might think of a dinner party such as this. It was a more like a semi-public occasion, more like a block party rather than a di- private dinner. It was also not uncommon for people who were who were not invited to the dinner party to to actually stop by to to listen to the conversation as the dinner guests sat around the table and they would sit on the edge of the courtyard, listen in. In fact, it was also the social custom of the day that they would actually wait till the end of the dinner party and eat whatever food was left over. But what was not so common is what happened next in this encounter. While they were eating, something surprising happened. Something so surprising that Luke introduces it with a... Exclamation. He says, and behold, in other words, he wants to grab your attention with this. And behold, because it comes out of nowhere, look what Luke writes in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he, that is Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisees' house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And then notice Simon's response to all this in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself. In other words, he's he's saying this, he's thanking this. This is what is in his heart. If this man were a prophet, so he's speaking of Jesus here, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And so in this unexpected interruption at dinner, we see a very clear contrast between the extravagant love of a forgiven sinner and the scornful contempt of a self-righteous Pharisee. Notice, first of all, this interruption, that a sinful woman crashes to the dinner party and she outwardly displays the extravagance of her love. You might be asking, well, who is this woman? Well, we don't know who this woman is. Luke does not tell us her name. In fact, the only thing we know about this woman is that she was a, quote, sinner. Now, right away, we all can identify with her, can we not? Or at least I hope you can. I hope you see yourself as a sinner, because all of humanity is in the same boat here. We are all sinners. We are born that way, and we choose to do that in life. We assume that she was some kind of prostitute, since Luke describes her as a, a, quote, woman of the city, which gives the connotation here of sexual sin. But it really doesn't matter because a sinner is a sinner. Whether she was a gossip or a call girl, she is still a sinner. And this is why she came to Jesus, as sinful as she was. Listen, she knew that Jesus was the friend of sinners. In fact, his friendship with sinners is so apparent throughout the Gospels as Jesus has shown compassion to sinners who stand outside of the people of God. And so when this woman heard that Jesus was reclining at the table at Simon the Pharisee's house, she ran to him with her perfume, hoping to just worship at his feet. At first, the woman simply stood there, looking at Jesus, gazing at him, not daring to touch him. But as she stood there, she Was overcome with this emotion. Here was the Savior who forgives sin. And she thought about all the sins she had done using her body in the service of Satan, but somehow she knew that Jesus had mercy on her. And then, as you might imagine, the tears started to flow tears of relief tears of joy, tears of love, as she is overwhelmed by the grace that God had given her in Jesus Christ. In other words, she is weeping with gratitude of her sin forgiven. As the woman looked down, she realized that her Savior's feet were now wet with her tears. And without even thinking, she began to wipe them with her hair. That was bad enough In that day, for a woman with her reputation to show up at a Pharisee's house uninvited, but in those days, in that culture, let me tell you, it was downright shameful for a woman to let her hair down in public. But this woman, let me tell you, she no longer cared what other people thought. She only cared about worshiping her Savior. And so she wipes his feet with her hair, and then she begins to kiss his feet as well. And then the woman proceeded to pour her perfume, her alabaster flask of ointment, on Jesus' feet. Now, in those days, perfume was was highly prized, and so the woman was anointing Jesus with, with something that is very expensive. It may have been the most precious thing that she owned, but now she was pouring it all out for the glory of her Savior. This was a gesture on humility on her behalf because normally perfume would have been used to anoint someone's head. Only a slave would care for someone's feet. But this woman was willing to take the position of a servant, trusting Jesus not to use her, not to abuse her the way other men had done in her life. And so here we see in this woman, by her actions, the extravagant love of a forgiven sinner. And when this woman poured out her perfume, let me tell you, she was pouring out her heart with love for the Savior. And, of course, this comes in contrast, stark contrast, to what we see by Simon. Simon the Pharisee looks at the sinful woman, and inwardly he conveys the scorn of his contempt. Simon the Pharisee, he did none of these things that the woman did. In fact, he was offended by what this woman was doing. He was was even embarrassed by her outward display of emotion for Jesus Christ. Luke tells us in verse 39, look at it again. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner, spoken like a true Pharisee of that day. Can you just detect a little bit, or rather a whole lot, Simon's attitude here towards this woman? It's an attitude of judgment. Simon's attitude was judgmental. He was quick to condemn other people for their sins. And when he did, he placed them in a totally different category from his own. He was righteous after all. She was a sinner. This was typical of the Pharisees that we see in the Gospels. They were were always looking down on people while at the same time looking up at themselves. In fact, notice the contempt in his words that he thinks in his heart. Not only did he call this woman a, quote, sinner, but he also alluded to what sort of woman who is, quote, touching him. The words that Simon uses here, this word touching, it has sexual overtones to it. And so what Simon is thinking to himself is that, He actually thinks that this woman is coming on to Jesus by her actions, by her touching. And if Jesus was truly a prophet, he would have known this, and he would have kicked her away. Why? Because real prophets don't associate with those kind of people, or at least that's what Simon thought. By thinking this way, Simon thought he was actually maintaining some moral high standards, but in fact, he was graceless. He was loveless. And one pastor and author writes, Simon had an arctic heart and a permafrost of the soul. How true that is? Luke is showing us something here. He's showing us two different responses to Jesus based on two different attitudes about sin and grace. You see, there are many contrasts between this woman and this Pharisee. But the major difference was this. Only one of them believed that God had grace for sinners. And so without even saying a word, it's interesting, in this encounter, this woman speaks, she doesn't speak at all. Nothing's recorded of her speaking. And so without saying a word, this woman, she proved by her actions that she trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of her sins. But Simon, listen to me, he had no room for grace in his religion. He believed that grace was unavailable to sinners like this woman, and it was unnecessary for a self-righteous man like himself. And so as Simon sat there at the table muttering to himself and thinking unkind thoughts about this woman, Jesus interrupted him and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And that brings us to scene two in this encounter. Scene two is all about an after-dinner story by the Savior. Luke writes in verse 40, look at it with me. And Jesus answering said to him, which that's kind of interesting because Simon never asked Jesus a question. Simon's just kind of muttering under his breath, thinking these thoughts, and Jesus answers him and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So it's very clear here that Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. That's a scary thought, which means God knows what we are thinking. Listen, our thoughts are not hidden to God. Our hearts are not hidden to God. Simon was about to find out in real time, in real life, that Jesus really was a prophet. Not only did Jesus know what kind of woman who was washing his feet, but Jesus also knew what kind of man was sitting across from him at this dinner table. And so Jesus tells a little parable. Jesus tells a story Of our sin debt. Notice this. Here's the basis of the story, or the summary of the story, I should say. Jesus tells a short story of two debtors to illustrate our sin debt. Now, just picture yourself in this encounter. Because by this woman interrupting the dinner party, let me tell you, that just that sent a shockwave through the dinner party. And as if the dinner guests needed more fireworks now at the party, this after-dinner story told by Jesus was now a huge explosion. The story is found in verses 41 and 42, look at it with me, where Jesus says a a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt above. And then Jesus asked Simon, the heart-penetrating question in verse 42, now which of them will love him more? Now the answer is rather obvious, but notice the way that Simon answered in verse 43. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debts. Now, of course, Simon was right in his answer, 500 denarii. Let me tell you, in that day and age, that was the equivalent of almost two years' worth of wages. And let me tell you, anyone forgiven a debt that large would be eternally grateful. And so Jesus says to him in verse 43 to Simon, you have judged rightly. Now, what's the meaning of the story here, the parable that Jesus told? Well, let me break it down for us in two points. First of all, the story does not deal with, the point of the story is not dealing with the amount of sin in a person's life but rather the awareness of that sin in our hearts. And so Jesus proceeded now to apply the story to Simon in verse 44. Notice what Jesus does in doing so. It says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon blind? Is he a blind Pharisee that did not see his dinner guests, including this woman, come from the outer courtyard and come to the table and do what she did? Well, in one sense, Simon, yes, he saw the woman. We know that because he looked at her with scorn ever since she started touching Jesus. But in another sense, Simon did not see this woman at all at least not the way God saw her. And so Simon's great problem was that he could not see this woman as a forgiven sinner. He could only see her as the sinful woman that she had been. And so Jesus said, Simon, here, listen up. Let me help you see this woman. And so as Simon looked at her with his physical eyes again, Jesus tried to help him see himself as well. Jesus tells him in verses 44 through 46, look what Jesus says here. Simon, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon, Simon, you did not even anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, Simon had done almost nothing for Jesus as a host. He was a host who forgot his manners. He did not even fulfill the basic, simple duties of a host. In fact, his rude response shows that Simon had almost as much contempt for Jesus as he had for this woman. And so rather than honoring Jesus with just common hospitality in that day and culture, Simon treated Jesus with, with this arrogant indifference. He may have been religious, all right, as a Pharisee, but he had absolutely no love for Jesus Christ as the Savior. By contrast... And that's what Luke is doing for us here. He's drawing a comparison and contrast. And by contrast, this woman did everything she could for Jesus. She did everything Simon failed to do and more. This woman surpassed Simon in every respect. So what made the difference? Well, to Jesus, the answer was rather obvious. She had been forgiven of her many sins. And so Jesus said to Simon in verse 47, "Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are what forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little." So the point of the story is that the woman loved so much because her many sins were forgiven. So what did this woman's extravagant love for Jesus say about her? Man, it proved that the great debt of her sin had been forgiven. Listen, everyone knew that she was a sinner, including the woman herself, and also Jesus, who did not overlook her many sins. Nevertheless, this woman was fully forgiven. And this meant that she was no longer defined by her past, no longer defined by her sins. Somewhere along the way, Luke doesn't tell us, this woman had met the Savior, Jesus Christ. She had come to understand the wonders of God's grace in Christ. She had come to understand the wonders of her forgiveness in Christ. And Jesus says basically this, Simon, don't you see? You said it yourself. She has shown me this extravagant love because she knows how much she has been forgiven. And so her gratitude, her her display of this extravagant love is the proof that she's received God's extravagant grace of forgiveness for her sins. You see, the real difference between Simon and this woman was not the size of their sin debt. Because before a holy God, it doesn't matter if your sin debt is one or if it's 500. Either one is enough to send us to hell if we do not respond to the grace and forgiveness that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. You see, the difference between Simon and the woman was, was not the size of their sin debt, but rather the fact that only one of them had been forgiven. When Jesus said, he who is forgiven little loves little, he was obviously talking about Simon who showed Jesus so little love by his actions that it's doubtful whether he had ever been forgiven at all. That's the point. I can almost imagine Jesus asking, Simon, has it ever dawned on you that the reason you have neglected to show me even the common courtesies of a host is that you have no concept of your need of the forgiveness of your sins? Simon, those who love me much are those who just can't get over how much they have been forgiven and set free from the bondage of their sins. Now, don't miss the order of all this. It's rather important. First comes the forgiveness of our sins through Christ's substitutionary death on the cross for us. And then comes our grateful response of love to Jesus Christ. You see, in this encounter, Jesus has been reasoning from love back to forgiveness. But the forgiveness comes first. Sometimes the wording here in verse 47, it, it may give the impression that it's the other way around. That it was the, the woman's love that somehow led Jesus to forgive her, her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But the word for here, it almost seems to suggest that her love was the cause of her forgiveness. However, that interpretation goes against What the rest of Scripture teaches, which is justification, is by faith alone, not by our works. It's not faith plus works that we are justified before a holy God. It is justified by faith in the works that Jesus has done for us, not that we do. And so the woman did not earn forgiveness by her love even her extravagant love rather the point of jesus story is that her love was the proof of her forgiveness jesus point is that the person who now realizes they are aware of how much they've been forgiven has great love now for the one the only one who can forgive them and that is jesus christ The Christian Standard Bible translates verse 47 this way. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. So this woman's love, it was not the cause of her forgiveness of sins, but rather the evidence of her forgiveness. And all of this leads us to the third and final scene in this encounter with Jesus where we see table talk, or rather we hear of table talk about the Savior. Now remember, this is a dinner party, and there are more guests than just Simon the host and Jesus. There are other guests who have been invited to this dinner party. And so you might imagine a rather large table with all these guests seated around the table. And then, as I said, there's the uninvited guests surrounding, kind of observing, listening in on the conversation and what's taking place. And so while all this is going on, what we see with the woman and her extravagant love, and they overhear the conversation that Jesus has with Simon. And so you can imagine, if you're a dinner guest at the table sitting, you are observing all this. You are hearing all of this and they started talking among themselves about Jesus because, after all, that's what people do. We talk. We call it gossip. Actually, the Bible calls it gossip. So what exactly caused all this table talk here about the Savior? Well, notice this. The dinner guests are rather astonished at Jesus. They are flabbergasted at Jesus. And first of all and foremost, they are astonished that Jesus has authority and power to forgive sins. They cannot fathom this. Jesus turned to a woman and said in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Now she already knew that, but now Jesus reassures this woman that her sins have been forgiven and that she now stands forgiven before God. And so whatever this woman was in the past, here in front of Simon the Pharisee, here in front of all these other dinner guests, Jesus does something for her. He reassures her And in doing so, he publicly declares to everyone in that courtyard, for she is a forgiven woman. But I think Jesus also said this, your sins are forgiven, because he wanted to show everyone else that he had the authority and the power to forgive sins. And so when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, let me tell you, that caused quite a stir among the guests. In fact, I'm sure a few of them choked on their lamb chops. Luke tells us in verse 49, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Now, folks, that is one of those questions that invites all of us here this morning to make a response. Who is this Jesus? And what we learn through Luke's gospel is that he is none other than the Son of God. He is the Savior who has come from God to redeem us from our sins by dying on the cross For our sin debt. And so he alone has the authority from God the Father and the power to forgive sins. But secondly, Jesus also has the authority and power to give us peace in life. Notice Jesus' last words to this woman in verse 50. He says to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so here is another word of assurance or reassurance to this woman. Having justified the woman by faith, Jesus sent her away in peace. And isn't that what all the world wants? Isn't that what you crave in life? More than any other thing, you may want stuff, but more than stuff, you want peace of heart. You want to be able to lay your head down at night with peace. And the only one that can give that is Jesus Christ. You see, again, it was not her love for Jesus that saved her. It was her faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. And because God now accepted her as a forgiven sinner, she could now live in peace, loving and worshiping in serving her Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about it. Think about this with me for a moment. Simon and his dinner, and his dinner guests would probably never accept this woman. She would remain outside of their circles. Others in town might still look down on her, but they knew nothing of God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You see, she, now, she could go in peace because of why? Not because other people accept her and include her. She could go in peace, she could live in peace, because her future was secure in the hands of God. She belonged to God as a forgiven sinner, and she expressed that gratitude with much love for the Savior. It's a beautiful thing to know that your sins are forgiven and that you can live in peace. Because knowing that I am now in a right relationship with the Holy God. And therefore, when Jesus comes again, not as the Savior, but as the judge, I will not Pay the wrath of God. I will not pay the penalty for my sin because I am already declared righteous. I am already justified. I am already part of the eternal family of God. And so, no matter what happens between now and then in my life, to my life, I can live in peace because I know my standing with God. My sins have been forgiven. I'm declared righteous, not because of my self-righteousness, but because of the righteousness of God, which has been credited to me because of his death on the cross. And so as we prepare our hearts to participate in communion, what, what we call the Lord's Supper, let me ask you this question. Have your sins been forgiven through Jesus Christ? Do you know that forgiveness? Do you know the peace that comes as a result of that? And if so, then what love are you showing Jesus in return? This woman displayed the extravagance of her love and she didn't care what anybody thought about it. That's how grateful her heart was for the forgiveness of her sins because she was aware of her sins in the one who had forgiven her. And as a result, she loved much. And so I asked, do you know that kind of forgiveness? And so what is your love like to Jesus Christ? How have you shown that? How do you walk through life displaying that with attitude and actions? Because the most important lesson for from this dinner with Jesus is this. Those who are forgiven much, love much. Listen, a life of love for Jesus. It is the grateful response of a sinner who has found forgiveness in Jesus. In other words, those who love Jesus much are those who just can't get over how much they've been forgiven of their sin debt by Jesus and because of Jesus. It is not just an awareness of your sins, but rather it is an awareness of the forgiveness that you have received in the payment that Jesus went through for you. What he did for you on the cross to give you that forgiveness that now compels you in your life, daily life, to love Jesus more and more. Just think, This woman was an uninvited guest at Simon's dinner table. She had to crash the party. But in Jesus Christ, get a load of this. We, we here as believers in Jesus Christ, we are invited to the Lord's table. We get to participate freely because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so as believers in Jesus, we are invited to come to this table to remember, first of all, the sin, debt that he paid with his death on the cross. We are invited to come to this table to give thanks for his shed blood that redeems us from our sin and his resurrected body that empowers us to live in peace. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, oh, thank you. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and what He accomplished on the cross for our sins. For it is only in Him that we find grace and forgiveness and peace in life. And so help us to see not only our sin, but also the forgiveness we have received in You and because of Your work on the cross. May we show our gratitude by loving You more and more each day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we get ready to participate in communion, the Lord's Supper is for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's not for just anyone here. We're glad that everyone is here. We're grateful that you are here to worship with us. But the Lord's table is for those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that is you, you have confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord by trusting Him for your salvation, then you are invited to the Lord's table to remember and give thanks again for what Christ has done for you. If you identify with Him in baptism and commit to His body and a membership of a local church, may not even necessarily be this church, then you are invited to the Lord's table to participate. Now, if you're here this morning and that does not describe you, you're not yet a Christ follower, again, we welcome you to come and worship with us like you have today, to come next Sunday. And we invite you to watch what the family of God will do here in a moment. And when you watch, my prayer for you is that you see a picture of God's grace for you in the juice And in the bread, because it is that juice that represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, it is the bread that represents his body, his broken body on the cross, as well as his resurrected body, because he is alive as we celebrated last Sunday. And so as we participate, and you're not ready to participate, then watch, knowing that all of this is a picture of God's grace and love for us. as the music begins to play. You're free, maybe not all at once, maybe give a few moments for the lines to die down. You're free to stand and go to one of these four high-top tables and remove the lid if you're the first one and to grab the juice and the bread. They're stacked on top of one another, so just grab one and take it back to your seat. As you take it, either before or after, I encourage you to give thanks. Give thanks for your... Salvation in what Jesus Christ has done for you.